This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, Mick read She's Gone Country by Jane Porter, and I read This Old Homicide by Kate Carlisle. Welcome to Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast. It has been over a month since we've recorded one of these episodes, and I forgot what to say. It was a really cute because we turned the recording bit on, and we leaned into the microphone, and then Mick looked at me with an expression of abject terror on his face, more like, so how do we do this? More so than usual, because <laughs> she did just see me go to my first day with students back less than a week ago, so. That's true. That's true. I feel like you've had a lot of, oh, crap, how do I do this moment? Yeah, what do I do here again has been a pretty major theme of my second year in teaching so far, uh, which is better than my theme of uh, my first year in teaching, which was... was It's a pretty good theme. Anyway, I'm Susan Dickinson, your co-host. Oh, I'm Mick Dickinson. I forgot that part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We're here to give you book reports on the worst books we could find each other at our local library, but... Uh, Susan has just dropped a bombshell onto me while we were playing a game to get ready for this podcast, and it is that tonight, this very night, uh, August 29th, 2017, just the timeliest reference I can possibly make, Susan watched the first episode of R. Kelly's Trapped in the Closet. I did! Um, so we were doing our fantasy football draft and I was trying to come up with a good name for my fantasy football team. And so I asked a coworker for some suggestions and he told, he asked me to read through the list of players that I had drafted. And one of my players is a gentleman whose first initial is R and whose last name is Kelly. And, um... Who, what position does this person play? I, I don't know. What team do they play for? I don't know. Mine. They play for me on my fantasy football You're team. You're doing great. Um, So I don't know any of the players that are on my fantasy football team. Not a single one. Not when any. I got to my last pick, I swirled all the way down to the bottom, and I picked the least desirable player, the one who was ranked at the very bottom. Tim Tebow. No. It is a player that I don't think is playing anymore, though. Neither is Tim Tebow. I know, but it was a player <laughs> that I didn't know. Did you pick Colin Kaepernick? No. Anyway, we're getting off topic. Anyway, so I was reading the through the list. I got to R. Kelly and Taylor, my colleague, suggested that I call my fantasy football team Trapped in the Closet. Mm. And I did not know what that meant. And he said, oh, this is going to be fun. And so he played, he explained what Trapped in the Closet was. And How? He played the, I know. I want to stop. How did um, he explain what Trapped in the Closet was <laughs> is a bigger question. So... He said, according to Taylor, it started as like it, just a regular music, music video, video. Yeah. and then it just sort of kept going, and then it was like a 33-part installment of this story. It was about, like a rock opera. Yeah. Um, and so he's like, I feel like I'll play the first one, and then you'll like at least understand the gist of it. And so we all, the four of us that were there, um, watched the first episode of Trapped in the Closet by R. Kelly. Do you remember any of the uh, melody? No, not at all. Do you remember any of the imagery? I do. What was some of the imagery? Um, it was a, it was presumably R. Kelly uh, waking up in the morning in bed next to a lady, and he's married, and she's married, and 
To each other, all, I assume. No, not to each other. What? And they're all like... Scandalous. They wake up and they're like, oh no, what are we going to do? And I he's need trying to, clean to these leave. Sheets. And he's getting ready to leave and she says, no, you can't go out that way. My husband's coming up the stairs. My husband is shaggy. So he, she makes him hide in the closet. And so he's watching from the closet. Um, and the husband comes in. They start getting busy. And then R. Kelly's phone rings. And Oops. he tries to put it on vibrate, but it's too loud and the husband figures it out. So he's searching all over. And then he opens the door to the closet and then the video ends. Oh. And then, so. <laughs> and that's you remember, you, you didn't listen to the Adventure Zone or Carboy, or we watched Carboys. Let's do Carboys. That you watched the fantastic YouTube series Carboys with me. In which case, the how would you describe the first episode? The first episode is just like two dudes fucking around with this video game where you can crash Language. cars into shit. Language. Sorry, where you can crash cars into things. Yeah. It's like a soft body physics simulator. Isn't that silly? And then the last episode is them falling into like a quasi time portal to defeat elemental evil. and Yeah. It just kind of goes off the rails. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Is that so kind of what happens with Trapped in the Closet? Yeah, there's one thing I remember about Trapped in the Closet and that there's like a chest and a little person comes out of it and it's never really explained as to why yeah. that person was in there or what that, what purpose that serves. Uh, but now I kind of want to uh, pause the recording right now, watch the 33rd installment of Trapped in the Closet and then have you... Oh my god, we are doing Skip the rest of the podcast. We're going to have you watch the 33rd episode of Trapped in the Closet, and you are going to try and summarize what happened in between. All right. Actually, I think we should just do a new second podcast where we just go episode <laughs> by episode and do recaps of R. Kelly's Trapped in the We've Closet. We've already got our quasi-sub-podcast of the Other World series, which is next week. But maybe we can do the... A quasi-quasi-sub-podcast. Yes, uh, uh, it's turtles all the way down. It's podcasts <laughs> all the way down. Okay. And we are back several minutes later after watching the final episode. Uh, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Correction. Episode 22 is the last one YouTube had to show us. That was actually like a true uh, musical rendition. Supposedly. It, it ended on a to be continued, nothing got resolved, and it was the last episode. Well, you don't know that nothing got resolved. Maybe the entire plot was wanting to talk to each other on the phone. Yeah, that's all that happened in episode twenty two is that they just there are a lot of people that talked on the phone. So what apparently you... Kathy's husband is a pastor and she cheated on him with Sylvester. And Kathy and Gwendolyn and Myrna and Randolph and Dixie and Bridget and Big Man Is are, this all, Dr. Seuss? are all gossiping about it on the phone. The package? The package. The package? The package. Um, some things that I noticed about this video that I really loved. I did not see episode one today. And I don't think I've ever seen any of them. Uh, like standout star from the hit television show The Wire... Omar himself, Michael K. Williams, makes a cameo appearance as a uh, sergeant. Sergeant something. As a cop uh, and says the package a whole bunch of times. Uh, and then there's a pimp with a stutter that R. Kelly puts on a voice for. R. Kelly does the voice for all of these people, including the crying redneck woman that wants to talk to Big Man, the aforementioned little person in a cowboy hat. So what do you think happened between? Break it down for us. Um, I think that the pastor found out that 
Kathy had an affair with Sylvester and he went off the deep end and became a pimp. With he's the pimp with the stutter. <laughs> yeah. And the psychological trauma. Uh-huh. Right. What do you think is in the package? The package. Uh big man. Big man is in the package. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's answering on a cell phone. Yeah, he's he the one that's in the package. Yeah. All right. Why does the pastor have a big man in a package? Um, he went off the deep end. You don't know what psychological trauma can make a person do. <laughs> All right. Uh, why was there a uh, man in old old age makeup just to say? Well, I told her. Um, because I think every story needs an elderly character to like give some words of wisdom and, mm. and try to lead everyone into into some good decision making but it, clearly it was not effective in this case it looked like he was about to just fart like it was that kind of old man makeup where it's like isn't it funny there's an old man and he farted and it goes woo yeah i'm i'm mostly thinking of the clumps and the old man's name was randolph randolph Randolph, get off the line all right well that's been your uh, 10 year anniversary retelling of the trapped in the closet saga. probably 20 r kelly in his prime that was that had to have been 20 I don't know, years ago but that, that's internet video that's just not music video do we want to look this up but I heard, didn't it was wasn't it like premiered on mtv maybe the first one number one was from 2005 oh i was wrong you were right dang straight uh now r kelly uh once famous for I believe I can fly, and then trapped in the closet. And Space Jam. And Space Jam. Then famous for urinate, urinating on an underage girl, and now is famous for operating a sex cult. So, yeah. uh, I think maybe he's, not the person we want to be celebrating think, in our podcast. I think he is the one with the psychological trauma. My heart goes out to Big Man for being trapped in that being closet and trapped that package. in package. So, moving on with our uh, the stated objective of our show, uh, Susan and I had checked each other out a couple books almost an entire month ago. Mm-hmm. This is the it's longest been a bit. It's been a while. This is the longest it has taken you to read a book before we are ready to record. Mm-hmm. And I'm even counting the very first episode or uh, not of the podcast but of Bibliovile when you read Choosers of the Slain and didn't and didn't finish it. Okay, are you really going to call me out on not finishing no, the book? No, I'm Mr. what I'm Dickinson? saying. What I'm saying is that was the longest previously and this one it, it took you longer. Yeah. And he did finish right. it. Okay. But uh can you give us a teaser? You're going second tonight. Um the second note that I wrote in my notes for this book is oh good, there are ghosts. Oh. <laughs> Okay, I'm excited for that. Well, uh, I'll hop in here with my book, sir. Yeah. Susan. I feel, I feel like I'm off my game. Yeah, you're losing your touch a little bit. I know. Doubly so, actually, unfortunately. Uh, Susan came home or met me in the library the first time with a hard copy book, uh, pretty skinny. Uh, she gave it to me and it was called... Forestborn? Forestborn from the Books of Bayern, which is hilarious because Bayern is a place in real life. Like, that's what Germans call Bavaria. Mm-hmm. And it was a young adult novel. She told me that she went over to the young adult section to find it. And I take a look at it, and Forest is capitalized in the description, and she's got kind of a weird name. You may notice I'm not using a lot of details because when I cracked open this book and read it, I read it to like 100 pages, and I had taken one note. Because dogs, that book was legitimate, like, literature for children. Like, 
Newberry Award winning. I would happily give that to a, anybody under 16 years old. It really delved deep into feeling not at home as you enter your teenage years and not really knowing where you can go to feel at home. And that sort of conflict about this isn't the place for me, but I don't know what is. I don't belong in my own skin. Everything I do is wrong. And instead of making it like, therefore, I'm going to go on a Lifetime movie and rip up magazines, it was poetic and pretty deep and spoke to something larger than the literal anxiety. Yeah. So I was like, Susan, I can't do a bibliophile about this one. Because it's actually like a good book yeah. that is well written and is also probably helpful to people. Yeah. It, it, yeah. And it's more than like, I've had books that I've enjoyed-ish before. This book was good. I should Not campy, not yeah. anything. It was good. And then I took that one back to the library and I tried again and I thought for sure I had a winner with this one because it has a rusty red pickup truck on the front cover, a woman sitting on the hood with jeans and cowboy boots. It is entitled She's Gone Country by Jane Porter. I thought for sure this was going to be a book that Nick would hate. It was not my book. I legitimately think you would like it. Hmm. And here's why. Uh, it is about a woman who moves back home. Well, let's read the back. No one ever said going home would be easy. A former model leading a charmed life in New York City, Shay Darcy was shocked when her handsome photographer husband announced he'd fallen in love with somebody else. Left to pick up the pieces of her once happy world, Shay decides to move back home to Texas with her three teenage sons. But life on the family ranch brings a whole new host of dramas, starting with differences of opinion with her staunch Southern Baptist mother and rugged but overprotective brothers and aiding, ending with daily battles with her three sons. Add to the mix Shay's ex-crush Dane Kelly, a national bull riding champ, which, by the way, we have to add to the generator, both those names and that job. Yeah, we do. And she's got her hands full. It's not long before blah, 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 right? So, okay, I move home, fish out of water, I'm back from New York. Where's the mall? Oh, no, handsome people. Like, you, I can see why you would think this would be a bad book. Yeah. But what it ended up being, rather than, like, a romance or a sex book set in Texas with a New Yorker, and she's a model, so everyone thinks she's very pretty, it ended up being, from what I understand, kind of like a Texan retelling of, like, Jane Austen. So, like, yeah. Jane Austen, Texas. All right. Or Emily Bronconti. This is a good one. Thank you. Like that was very really good. That I was, was pretty good. happy with that one. I was wondering how you were going to pull it off, but you got there. I did. Um, so it, instead of it being like a romance, it is that this woman is at home and there are problems, mostly resulting from her challenges in life and how she addresses those. And these are the problems are very realistic and real, mm -hmm. real to life right. without being overblown, but also not being totally boring, which is also a good thing. Uh, the writing is not as good as actual Jane Austen, unfortunately, but it's not terrible. I will. I do want to shout out the the dedication in this book. Uh, she sends a dedication to her boys, Jane Porter, the author. Uh, in her acknowledgments, excuse me. I have to. I have to find where she says the thing. And one last shout out to my four boys, Surfer Ty, as in T Y, Surfer as in the surfboard, Surfer Ty, Jake, Ty, and Mac. So surfer tie surfer and tie, also Jake, just plain tie and Mac. Yeah, he's land tie. Oh, 
I see. We've got the the water tie and then the the earth tie. Earth tie. We need a fire tie. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I'm sorry. An, an air tie. An air or a, an ice tie, and a stone oh, tie. Ice and stone. That's a, that is a bibliophile deep cut. <laughs> but then we hop into we hop into uh, she's gone country. Pretty quick, we get into she's back in Texas. Her mom is the worst, as seen from her perspective. Mm. Pressuring her to go to church and shaming her all the time and basically saying everything, but you're going to go to hell and very proper, proper and these sorts of things. Um, sh- we are quickly introduced that her husband had fallen in love with somebody else, and it turns out that that somebody else is a man. Okay. His husband dis- or her husband discovered that he was gay. Uh, we later find out throughout the book, I was very interested to see how a Texas based mm-hmm. romance would handle a gay man, especially a New York, assumably liberal gay man. And I will not lie. It was not entirely favorable on the guy. Once he came to Texas, he was, well, we'll talk about that, but his gayness was never brought up as like being wrong. That the, the idea that he would only discover he was gay later in life was never thought of as something unthinkable. And so it wasn't like mm-hmm. a, haven't you, were you always knowing and lying? He's like, no, I really was trying. Mm-hmm. And then it, I, it, it wasn't me. Like I, I yeah. later found out. So the idea of sexual orientation as a, not necessarily back and forth kind of thing, but not instantly knowable yeah. uh, was pretty, pretty good for a book like this. Um, so she's in Texas. Her husband, we don't actually meet in person, I suppose, until about 85% of the way through the book. Uh, a sentence her resume just keeps getting dropped in little by little uh with the sentences like after 16 years as a glamorous fashion model Mm -hmm. she was a glamorous fashion model uh we go through her quick resume rundown she has had back to back uh in the 90s the mid 90s because she's about 40 years old back to back uh sports illustrated swimsuit covers (laughs) so like the most famous cover of a magazine, yeah, back-to-back sure. models, or modeling on it. And I, I, damn it, I was going to look up the most recent swimsuit issue covers, because I'm pretty sure the people that are on this, we still kind of hear about, right? Yep. Like Kate Upton was on there. Chrissy Teigen was on there Chrissy once. Teigen was on there a couple times. Kathy Ireland mm-hmm. was a supermodel back in the day. Uh, Brooklyn Decker was on there. And Emily Ratajkowski, that's not how you say her name, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure it was a... a supermodel on the cover of this sports illustrated swimsuit not that <clears throat> not that not that i would look at any of those no things. not that you would ever know anything about that but like you know these people and they stick in your mind and she goes about her day pretty anonymously even in the small town Interesting. it does get brought up once mainly for laughs that like her truck her dad her dead dad's truck breaks down and she takes it to the mechanic and her brother's like, I'll handle talking to the guy. Even though she knows the guy, she's like, I want to talk to Manny Ramirez. Like, he's, yeah. he's one of my good friends from high school. And he's like, no, I'll, I'll handle it. Because inside the the uh, maintenance shop is a bunch of, like, pinups of her and, uh... and this, like, lace bikini and all those sorts of things. And the brother is very overprotective. And, and so it's played for a couple laughs. But I, I just think it's funny that no at no time do we just like straight up forget about back to back sports illustrated whatever <laughs> so this book is like i said pretty just drops you in the life of a f- almost 40 year old mom with three teenage sons 15 13 and i think like 11 
Interesting. But, but the only thing is that they're each played up about two or three years in terms of how they're written. So yeah. the 15-year-old acts like a 17-year-old because he's worrying mainly about colleges and he wants to go back to the private school because that gives him the best chance back in New York. The 13-year-old is in middle school with in like eighth grade, but he has... Uh, so I have to I have to take a detour for this guy. Bo, the 13-year-old, is kind of written a little bit older in some respects, but very true to eighth grade. Bo suffers from depression pretty heavily throughout mm-hmm. the book, and it's one of the major challenges of reaching him without suffocating him and how the mom, a single mom kind of balances that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And I thought it really represented, especially from a teaching perspective, the idea of like, I'm trying as hard as I can and it, it's just not like working Yeah. because they're like, you will not, there's not a lifetime movie speech that you can give someone and suddenly they're better. Yeah. And so there's a lot of like, I'm taking the steps I know to take and it doesn't seem to be doing anything about it and, or doing anything because that's how depression works. Right. And her brother died. Cody is our main character. Shay. I don't even know if I know if I named her. Shay's brother died. He had bipolar disorder and it's heavily hinted, though never stated outright, I assumed it was a suicide. Mm-hmm. It's only his funeral and his death and this sort of thing. And so she's very on point to look out for these sort of symptoms, especially in her own son. Yeah. Uh, it's handled pretty well that he's not crying. And he's not, like, you know, writing bad poetry on his walls. He just goes into his bed and hangs out there for most of the time and yeah. doesn't want to go to basketball sorts of things. And so that that realistic is or that dynamic is portrayed pretty realistically. The only thing I didn't like is at one point uh, references depression. Uh, I don't even remember how it did. I don't have the exact quote, but it, it listed as crazy. And I'm like, depression is not crazy. No. Depression is far from that. Bipolar disorder is not. I know it can feel crazy when you're on a manic high, but that's not really crazy. Um. It's 100% mom feelings the whole time. The only thing I don't like about his depression and the other boys is that she always is doing the best she can. And it's represented that, like, from her perspective, these are the right decisions to be making. I'm, I like, I know I'm not helping as much as I need to help, but I don't know how else to do this. Mm-hmm. But then always her brothers or her love interest, Dane, uh, come in and it's basically like Texas we need to get him out working on the ranch and yeah. they don't want, they don't want to work on the ranch when the mom asks, but when she's gone and the brothers come through, then it always comes back and like, well, the boys sure are tired. They worked hard and the boys behave better for a couple days. Right. Yeah. And no one ever like says you're being a terrible mom or anything like that, but it's, it's kind of hinted that people aren't approving of her, her, her mom's style, which gets a little annoying, but you know, different strokes for, Different people and different connections can work for different things. I know that when I suffered from depression, it really helped to have a job to do. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's just like the thing they're going for, right? Um, about halfway through the book, we still have not even really started the romance. Like, so it is not the main plot. Her, the yeah. main plot is her kind of getting out of her divorcing shell mm-hmm. and making a life in Texas. So that's why it kind of felt a lot more Jane Austen than it did, you know, E.L. James or whatever. Um... There are some fun archetypes like uh, her sister-in-law, her brother's wife, is a really awesome, like, Dallas, Texas, big hair, church lady, oh, bless your heart, like, huge house, super rich, hates people and drinks during the morning type archetype, and nobody really likes her. That's kind of fun. Um, 
Other things that get kind of like a Texas shine to them is that Bo comes home with like black eyes and it's our first hint that he's being bullied at school Mm -hmm. for being new. And they, the brothers are a little bit mad at Shay for not teaching him how to fight or like refusing to allow him to learn how to fight. Yeah. Because boys fighting is a natural thing and like a boy needs to know how to defend himself. And you went to a pretty small school. This is, takes place in a pretty small school. Was fighting like a regular thing that Absolutely happened? Absolutely not. We had in, in all of my middle school and high school years, we had one fight. In my teaching year last year, I think we had one in-school scuffle, yeah. and apparently several more in the parking lot, but that's like scuffle. It's not, it's not a fight. No one went home with broken you know, no. orbital bones. No. And so that's not a thing that boys do really anymore. Actually, the one fight uh, that happened in my high school was like a, a little bit of shoving, and then one dude poured chocolate milk on the other dude's head. I that was it, the extent of the fight. I think it was like pushing and yeah, in yeah. a headlock. Um, so we get through like a good solid half the book and we don't even really, we meet Dane Kelly, but he's distant and he has a girlfriend and she's, you know, of course he was her childhood love and she still has electric feelings for her, mm-hmm. him, and all that sort of stuff. Um, he was a three-time championship bull rider. Her youngest son, Coop, wants to get into bull riding and so the entrance to them starting to talk more and date is that he agree. Dane agrees to teach Coop how to ride bulls, right? Okay. Or start to ride bulls. He, he's too young for an actual bull now. Because Coop goes like full native in the Texans. The oldest kid wants to go back to New York, right? So that sort of thing. Um, but Dane, as a bull rider, fell off the bull. And the bull not only like bucked him off, as they always do, but also mm-hmm. like rolled onto him and like uh, broke his femur, his pelvic bone, and like the his hip. type stuff like did did him some damage and so he had to retire from bull riding and has had multiple surgeries to try and repair the hip and it's not working so now he walks around with a cane but he is still eminently male and about uh, on the other end of 40 from shay he's a little older he's more handsome than ever wait but they were high school sweethearts yeah she was they're like well okay so the thing is that she was like madly in love with him and they uh, were afraid the two were gonna elope with him at like 20 21 22 and her at 16 which mm. yeah kind of weird and so they send her to state or a uh, private school in california no word on how they afford that she goes to stanford and graduates from stanford and also is an international model even though international models usually start around like 14 yeah um so that's not really uh that doesn't really track but she comes back and he's had a wife and a son we later find out has died uh, and the divorce, uh, he got divorced from the wife because of it. Uh, nothing sinister. He yeah. had special needs and wasn't expected to make it. Um, but anyway, so Dane has had this hip surgery and broken and everything. So he walks around with a cane, but he's still eminently male. And he has got gigantic butt and like great thighs <laughs> and everything and a great chest. Super <laughs> handsome. Um, the only one weird line that gets dropped is, I should find him less attractive now that he's injured. Like, she's chastising herself for still being so attracted to him about uh, 56% of the way through the book. And, okay. Yeah, I know. He uses a cane. Gross. Gross. Uh, but there's actually a huge gap in my notes because I got pretty invested in the story. Uh, there's really great growth of her starting to balance being a single mom because that's not an easy adjustment. It's definitely not an easy job in the first place, mm-hmm. but I, I bet it would be extraordinarily hard at the beginning. Um, using her friends and family to kind of take the kids while she sometimes works her modeling jobs 
she gets cast as a grandma in one ad, which she is kind of funny. Uh, but she finds uh, happiness through occasional work and also loves her kids a whole yeah. lot. So it's like a positive, like, I did have to choose between international modeling and having children, but I do not have to choose only being a homebody or only being a career woman, which is pretty nice. And she gets paid just bonk, like buku bucks. Yeah. Because she's now this famous model and can pull off like half a day for $2,000. It's yeah. her daily rate. Anyway. Uh, so that was kind of nice to see. But she starts coming out of her shell with the work first, then uh, flirting with Dane. She's this new, she hasn't been laid in a couple months uh, because her husband found out he's gay. And they had a, a like sexual relationship and not a passionate one. Pretty yeah. Obviously, um, and it turns into a romantic, more romantic book. She, there's a lot of plot threads. That's the, that's why I'm having trouble. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and it's kind of a negative. She befriends a high school classmate of Bo or a middle school classmate of Bo's who lives in a bad home. Her dad's an alcoholic, and her mom uh, suffers for it. And then she suffers for being in this broken home. Uh, we only see her like. Tw- three times the the girl and yeah. one of the times shay the main character goes to pick her up gets her a bite to eat and then has to drop her off at home because like you can't just take a kid yeah and she feels really bad about it and starting there she's like i need to do something with my connections i do have quite a bit of money like saved up from this modeling thing i'm a career woman i'm i can be a role model i'm beautiful and so that is a thing that she sets forward and then it is quickly dropped and I was pretty excited to hear about that, but it, it's one more step in the the coming out of her shell. Uh, eventually, Dane and her do it in the truck. Nice. That's the first time they do it. Gotta have that in a book set in Texas. Yeah, uh, they do it one other time. We do not see any sex except for the undressing, and then it's not uh, explicit at all. Like, mm-hmm. she covers up her breasts with her hands at one point, and then uh, later puts them on his shoulders, and he looks, like, amazed and surprised, yeah. and she feels attractive in her getting on years you know uh he comes to the house and gives her a puppy without asking okay why is that a trope in these books why do people keep giving people puppies do you know what it is in this book and i totally called it he's afraid she'll go back to new york so he's trying to tie her down with responsibilities that's gross and i trying to take a german shepherd puppy back to new york would be very difficult and if she does he goes well then i'll take it And, and then it's like the negative because she just admitted that she still is leaving the possibility of going back to New York open. It was pretty gross. Um, That's gross. The funny thing is that they do it again and I start getting down in page numbers. It's a pretty long book. You got me a pretty long book. It's over 370 pages. Mm-hmm. And nothing's really resolving. Like, Bo thanks her for working hard to help him. Yeah. He says he loves her a lot and he, he's coming out of his shell. Not necessarily coming out of his shell, but getting better. Yeah. Because depression is not a on-off kind of thing. Um, she's working more. Her uh, kowtowed brother is leaving the Texan church lady wife. So that's improving. Her mom comes back home. Uh, and so, like, oh, no, mom's coming home. There's a divorce. Bo's thing is still not resolved. Mm-hmm. There's also this uh, open question of the women's program in the town. And also she finds out she's pregnant from the truck sex. Uh <laughs> Like, Dane got a job that he has to be on the road five months a year. Oh, shit. And then they agree to uh, get married, and she feels apologetic because she locked him into this marriage because she's not going to – she's going to keep the baby. Like, she's excited about it. She yeah. loves the kids, even though she's not excited about her baby – or about uh, having another baby at almost 40. 
And then the book ends with them agreeing to get married. And like all these open threads, all these oh plot things that get started in the last 20 seconds. And then we get a two pa- like a two and a half page epilogue about, okay, baby Sophie is here. She gets her baby daughter. Yeah. We're married. He's on the road a lot, but he's coming home for an extended period of time. Now we live in his house. Bo's getting better. Cooper's learning how to do all this stuff. John's back in, uh, her husband is back in New York with my oldest going to this prep school. He comes home and visits sometimes. So almost 400 pages to not wrap up all these plot lines and then you slam through it in a page and a half epilogue. Yeah. Uh, all that change brought growth and hope, strength and love. Like the girls program, I run now in Mineral Wells, their town, where I offer free classes for 11 to 18 year olds on fashion and modeling, self-esteem and goal setting. All right. You know, if you get your self-esteem from fashion, yeah. it's good. And the monthly column I've begun writing for Teen Cosmo on how it's beautiful to be strong. Okay. They've, they've taken a slightly more... Uh, political bent since then this book has been published but sure it's hard juggling all the different roles and sometimes it's a little messy but my messy life gives my mama a purpose makes her feel needed and makes me realize how much she's always loved me so we get a little bit of like coming together for the the estranged mother me shaylin her own baby girl here's to the girls we rock we really do the end reading group questions after that i didn't read the oh reading my group. God. and so i wrote <laughs> the ending like <laughs> There were so many plot threads, the, the the author could not stop. Yeah. She just kept writing it, and eventually the uh, the editor was like, 370 pages, Jane, that's it. That's all you get. And so it feels very much, for some reason, like, you know when you see a, a green light turn to yellow, and you're yeah. like, I gotta make this, and you step on the gas, and then you realize, I'm not gonna make this. And so you have to slam especially hard on yeah. the brakes. That's exactly what this book felt like. Oh my goodness. So by speeding up at the end... Speeding up near the end, the end felt all the more abrupt. Uh, that is so interesting. It is very interesting. I mean, like, overall, it seems like it was pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was, it was a good, like, here's what it, I do not know what it is like to be, namely, uh, a woman. Mm-hmm. I do not know what it is like to have children. I do not know what it is like to be a single mother. Yeah. 30-something years old, a former fashion model living in Texas, but to me, it seemed a pretty realistic portrayal of the challenges and rewards, the opportunities and the hardships of that lifestyle. And it was done in a pretty well-written way. Not the next great American novel, but also not tiresome to read. There's a couple too many one-sentence paragraphs. That's my yeah. biggest quibble with the, the thing. But other than that, She's Gone Country, much better than you were expecting. And I was Interesting. Expecting. Yeah. One one question that I do have. Um, you used the phrase international model a lot. Was uh-huh. it always written as international model? No, it was usually glamorous model. Oh, okay. Because um, there was, I wondered if that was a thing because there's a character on The Bachelor, a character, an individual <laughs> a character. On, Let's be on The Bachelorette once who was a model and his little bio said international model. And every time we talked about it, it was international model. I see. So I didn't know if that was like a thing that people really felt the need to like, you're not just a model, you're an international Well, model. she was discovered in Milan Ooh, as a college graduate, which usually puts you out of the outrage range, unfortunately. Yeah, they're looking for yeah. 16-year-olds. But anyway, I am excited to get to note two, oh good, there's ghosts, the the tagline for This Old Homicide by Kate Carlisle, the one book I had to pick you these this month. Yeah, because you're on your game. I need to get back on my bullshit. 
Language. Um, so profane this episode. So We're getting an one, explicit tag for sure. One interesting thing about this author is that she also writes a series called The Bibliophile Mysteries. <laughs> I forgot about that. Which I think you might be getting one of those next time. Oh, Bibliophile for Bibliophile. You betcha. Um, this is part of her other series, A Fixer Upper Mystery. Um, the first one was called A High-End Finish. And ah. this one is called This is Old that, Homicide. Wait, wait, wait. Is that about like an expensive prostitute? Ew. <laughs> you are just, you're the reason we're going to get the explicit tag. Oh, those aren't bad words. Um, so the fixer upper <laughs> mysteries follow a woman named Shannon Hammer. Oh, yes. Ha- Hammer, the fixer upper. Yeah. Um, who lives in a town called Lighthouse Cove. And she owns a bit, she owns a construction company that focuses in remodeling old homes so there's a lot of like victorian era homes in lighthouse cove or like victorian style homes mm. in lighthouse cove and that's her specialty she fixes them up um and you think it'd be coastal cottage mainly yeah she also is is um fixing up an old lighthouse which is she does cool. know that that's not a literal house well there's like a home attached to the lighthouse and the lighthouse keeper is the loneliest home of all one is the loneliest light bulb. Um, Earl is the uh, lighthouse keeper. It's an automated lighthouse keeper. That's a Simpsons joke. So. You got the dud. <laughs> I just did the really slow Homer smile. <laughs> anyway. You got the dud. So this book was described on one of the pull quotes on the back as light and frothy Mm, just like my cappuccinos those are not my favorite descriptions of books um on page two i found out that there were ghosts Ooh, off to a good start off to the races spirited start i found out that there were ghosts as we were in the process of introducing the cast of characters that aren't particularly relevant to the story characters um, we get some really deep backstories on all of Shannon Hammer's friends. And all of their unfinished business. Including uh, a woman who is who is formerly from an Amish community, but she left her community and now she owns a quilt shop. Naturally. Her name, of course, Emily Threads. Actually, it is Emily. So, um, no big deal. And then, Must have been the ghost, told me. And then there's also a Scottish woman who had a boyfriend that was lost at sea. Oh. And she's Shannon Waves. I can't remember what her name is. No, oh. she's not Shannon. It's Shannon Hammer. Um, <laughs> one other really interesting thing. So do you remember the last, one of the last episodes that we did was the special bonus episode where I, we read the Midnight Sin series. And in the book that I read, um, the woman, oh shoot, what even was her name? Amelia um, was like part of the like event planning committee for their town. And there's more of a big thing than somebody being murdered. Yes. And there were like, we like got really into all the political, like political in air quotes, like drama of this social planning committee and her feud with a, a woman that she went to high school with. The exact same thing happens in this book. Oh. We spend a her ton a of hitman? real estate in this whole homicide. Hey, real estate. Good joke. Going through this feud that she has with a woman named Whitney and the politics of the social planning committee 
and they're doing a big festival that involves a pet fashion show. Is her name like Whitney Streamers from the party fashion committee? Yes, that's absolutely a it. A pet fashion show? The joke from Anchorman about the stupidest possible thing? That's probably where they got the idea. Um, in my notes, I wrote, uh, why do authors waste time going into the politics of social planning committees? That could be time spent not reading this book. <laughs> <laughs> or not writing. It would be the preferred one. Um, so our main character in the first book, apparently, um, had gotten in a fight with an individual, had publicly threatened him, and then several days later found his dead body in a house that she was working on. Got in a lot of trouble with the police. It wasn't her. Eventually oh, had her good. name cleared. Um, now... She finds a dead body again. She is worried about her neighbor, Jesse, in the house next door. So she goes to check on Jesse. She finds him dead in his armchair. He's in his 70s, so it appears that it's a heart attack, but the house has been totally ransacked. Oh, no. She's so like she calls Agatha the police. Christy. Um, so as she is in the house with Jesse's niece, who is her best friend, Jane, and she's like comforting Jane. The police are trying to figure out what happened. All of this stuff. And as all of these things are happening, she's just found her second dead body within a year. And Shannon, our main character, goes on this rant about why she hates Whitney so much. And it's because Whitney is married to her ex-boyfriend and he cheated on her with Whitney in high school. And then they got married. And now Whitney is trying to crash the social planning committee and making Shannon's life miserable. Like, this is what she's focusing on. In her dead neighbor's house, after she's just found his body... And, like, it looks like a crime scene. Oh, my God. Was it yes. Whitney? It wasn't Whitney. Oh. Um, one thing that I did find funny, a lot of the characters are elderly. No, it was not Jane. A lot of the characters are elderly former Marines. <laughs> not former Marines. Former Navy SEALs. <laughs> oh. It's um, even worse. <laughs> and so, like, Jesse. Ah, Yes. Those elderly Navy SEALs, a program that was not started until after World War II. Well. Like, a lot after okay. World War II. Okay, so Jesse is supposedly in his 70s. Yeah. Um, one thing that I remember when I read SEAL Team 666 was you telling <laughs> me that SEAL Team 6 was the first SEAL team, and it was called SEAL Team 6 because they wanted people to think There's that we had five. one through five. Um, Jesse, the seven-year-old neighbor who dies, is described as having been in the original SEAL team, SEAL Team 1. <laughs> uh, also, it was began in 1962. So how old would that make him serving? So was... this book, I think, was in like uh, approximately 2010. So say he was 70 in 2010. So that means he's, oh, I guess so he's the in his 20s, existed. yeah. You'd yeah. Yeah. Um... There's just, yeah, there's just a lot of weird tangents like that. Um, in the middle of, like, the funeral scene, we spend several pages talking about how one of the characters braids her hair. But I think, like, overall, despite all of the weird distractions, this is a pretty well-written example of, like, female friendship. There's this group of four or five women. A lot of them are small business owners the in this Nick town. Kind of like the Knit Cats, Yeah. Um, and it's, like, about how they support each other and how they're helping Jane through this, like, difficult time. She's getting ready to open up her inn, and she's dealing with the passing of her uncle that she was really and close to. And she's also to. haunted. Where did the ghosts go? Okay, so the ghosts. I gotta gather my thoughts on this, because it has nothing to do with the plot at all. <laughs> so, so we have the murder. We have 
Um, hey, the hey, house hey. got. Is this in New England? No, it's in oh, Northern California. I was gonna say Manchester by the Seance. Ah. Okay, so the main plot: <laughs> Jesse dies. Oh no! Oh, the old. We guy. think yeah. it's suspicious, but we're not sure. But his house has been ransacked. A couple years ago, Jesse and his friends Bob and Ned from the Navy from SEAL Team One were doing some deep sea diving, and Naturally. Jesse bragged about finding a very valuable necklace that was lost in a shipwreck and originally belonged to the Spanish royal family. And everyone thought that Jesse was telling tall tales because that's what Jesse did. But he actually did find the necklace and he hid it in his home and someone found out about it. And now everyone thinks that Jesse was killed because that person was trying to get their hands on it. I wish I had Jesse's pearls. (laughs) Yeah. So... Jesse also had a secret girlfriend that he hadn't told anybody about. And there's just like a revolving cast of characters. And Shannon fancies herself a little amateur detective. So she's trying to figure out who killed Jesse. And the actual chief chief of police is furious at Shannon. It's basically like, GTFO of my crime scene. You can't do this. He should just take her badge and gun. He keeps threatening to just chuck her in jail. Like, I'm just going to throw you in jail. You can't do that. No. And that's what I was like. We just keep really casually tossing around the idea of false imprisonment. Like, it's not yeah, a huge some deal. some habeas corpus. Um, but he's like, I am going to lock you up if you don't, like, stop interfering. You can't break, like, you can't break into my crime scene anymore. You're putting yourself hey, in danger. If Arpaio can get pardoned, this guy's got nothing to worry about. Um... <laughs> So we have, this is the main plot. This is all that's happening. Um, we also, Shannon is working on a house called, the is commonly referred to as the old Raleigh mansion. The murder house. And No, it's not the murder house. There, there's no murder that happened there. Oh. Um, but there was a very unhappy woman that lived there. And when Shannon was young, she was in this house and she swears that she saw this woman's ghost. And so she's been nervous to go in and start working on it. And as they're starting to work on the house, weird things keep happening. Like there's a part of the wall that's really hot and it's vibrating. Um, There's a cat behind it. A guy named Gus. And Gus like comes into the house and he like gets possessed briefly. That Um, explains his calls on the NCAA championship. And then... He comes back the next day and he's like, I had a dream. And the dream told me that we need to cut into this wall because there's something there. The so necklace. Cut into the wall. Oh, it's not the necklace. It Damn has literally it. nothing to do with the Jesse murder plot. Oh. It's just a journal from Mrs. Raleigh, the unhappy woman that lived in the house, about how she was forced to marry someone that she didn't love, but she had an affair with a guy named Giuseppe that she did love. Giuseppe. And then it, she had... the. Um, she like slept with this dude right before her wedding and then nine months after the wedding she gave birth to a baby that looked like Giuseppe and not like her husband. The baby came out and it's like, it's me. I'm a baby. <laughs> I'm a baby. Win. I'm going to win. <laughs> it's Wario. <laughs> and she was really unhappy and then her husband left her. But like no one well, died so I don't really, like usually ghosts happen in books because like someone was murdered or some unfinished this was just business. like an unhappy woman and so it was like her diary all about how she really loved this guy named giuseppe and then she had his baby 
Do they find Giuseppe? No, but Giuseppe's descendant is Gus, the man who was possessed and who had the dream. Um, And after they read through the diary, they stopped having... There there were no more ghosts because apparently she just wanted to tell her story to somebody. Why we had to have this in the middle of this book, I have no idea. Because there is definitely enough happening in this book with the murder and the necklace and the secret girlfriend and the inn opening and all of the weird I side businesses. I already forgot businesses. what the secret girlfriend is. Um, Jesse had a girlfriend that he didn't tell anybody about and it turns out she was the killer. Because she found out he had the necklace and she was dating him to try to get him to give her the necklace. And then so an old lady she accidentally an old overdosed him on sleeping pills and he died. So she ransacked his house to make it look like a murder. No, to try to find the necklace. Was she an old woman too? Yes. Oh, good. I was hoping it'd be like an Anna Nicole Smith situation. Yes. When, when Plus, we have all of this very important drama about the pet fashion show and the social planning committee and Whitney. So, really, we did not have time for ghosts in here. When Gus learns that he's the, the diary man's son, was, was the narration like, it's Wahoo, like, Gus said, jumping into the air with one fist raised. And then he they made the little whoop, whoop, whoop. Yeah, he, he walked out the door. And into a different world, full of coins. Um, Gus doesn't really give a shit because he's not even the son of Giuseppe. He's like the great, 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 great grandson. So it's like his far back descendants. So it's not fun or good or nice at all. No, and it doesn't really make any sense or fit. I felt like this woman had written a short story in this same universe with these same characters and just wanted to include it in this other independent book that she read. The Fixer Upper Mysteries Extended Universe. The Extended Universe of the Fixer Upper Mysteries. Exactly. Um, A lot of my notes are like, why does this thing exist for no reason? For example, why are there ghosts for no reason? What is the point of Whitney? Why do we have a pet fashion show? Like, why is any of this happening? The end. (laughs) Um, Also, there is a character named Mac who is living in the garage above, or like the space above um, Shannon's garage. And he bought the lighthouse and he's waiting until Shannon gets it all the way fixed up before he can move in. And he's a mystery writer. And we throw a lot of stuff in there that makes it seem like he is going to be the killer. Um, I actually, for a a long time, I thought he was going to be the killer. And at one point, they have a really obnoxious, entire chapter-long conversation about if he were writing this murder mystery, how would he have written it? <laughs> Do you think she just recorded talking to an actual mystery writer? I was like, uh, I've got this a stuff, I guess. Um, and so she, so he keeps throwing things in, like, well, if this were my story, this person would just be a red herring, and it turns out they are, and all that kind of stuff. So this is self, This is like when Stephen King put himself into the Gunslinger. Kind of. This Mac is Kate Carlisle. Um, Shannon and Mac are talking and she asks him, if you were writing a book and plotting out Jesse's death and its aftermath, would you have things happening so haphazardly like this? Actually, Mac said, I would. What do you mean? I, I mean, need to justify my existence in this book. Right? Human nature is pretty straightforward. In real life, events no, and situations are often self-explanatory and relatively simple, even murder. 
But for a mystery novel to be intriguing, an author needs to write as complex and elaborate a plot as possible to keep readers guessing. Because believe me, mystery readers are so damn smart, they always figure it out. Which I feel like is just Kate Carlisle being like, hey, you all are really smart, so I'm going to confuse you with a lot of weird details and Whitney and pet fashion shows and ghosts. Even if that was true about the complicated nature of mysteries, which I don't think it is. No. Because you read a mystery so that you do know who figured yeah. it out, and then you get to pat yourself on the back for being so smart. Exactly. Being overloaded is not the same thing as being complicated. No. Her self-insert character is objectively wrong about the universe he in- inhabits. Inhib- inhabits. Also, like, I disagree with the notion that people are at their core pretty simple and straightforward. I think that's like... Human nature is not no, yeah. simple. No. Yeah. Like, it's messy and it's complicated. I feel like that's something that we've all kind of agreed on at you this know, point. All human nature really boils down to murdering old men for their pearl necklaces. Exactly. But well, only was, if you're an old woman named Althea. If she was really his girlfriend, you think she... Nope. You were going to make a really inappropriate joke about a pearl necklace, weren't you? Yes. Get off my podcast. It's my podcast. Oh, our podcast. It's our podcast. And pearl necklaces will stay forever. Well... Actually, they usually get washed okay, off. Let's, okay, let's change the subject really fast right the now. The end. <laughs> um, I am very excited because our next episode of Bibliobile um, is going to be our beloved Otherworld. Very, very excited to get back into Otherworld. Um, I am going to be reading uh, Blood Wine, which is another Manali book. N- can't quite remember off the top of my head what Michelle's going to be reading. Autumn Huntress or something like um, that? Yeah, Autumn. Something about Autumn. You can't find it in there because it comes after my book. True. My book, finally, we've done it. Maybe the one thing that cemented Otherworld in my mind as worth exploring more was when the first time Susan read through the titles of the different books that had come before her original Crimson Veil and found bone magic. Bone magic. And now knowing as much as I do about Otherworld, and especially Cammie, this uh, sex-positive, polyamorous, MMF threesome-having, sex-again witch... Who practices death magic. Who practices both death and moon magic... I love the title Bone Magic all the more because before I thought it might be like an accidental euphemism. Mm -hmm. And now I can tell you, dear listener, it almost certainly is not. It is going to be magic concerning boning. I don't know. I feel like it might be, I feel like it might be a way of talking about death magic. I don't know. Like bones, like skeleton bones. I understand bones. I don't know. We'll see. Michelle is reading Harvest Hunting is the, Harvest the third one. Hunting. Um, I have already started my Otherworld book. Very good so far. Great stuff. It's going to be a quick turnaround. We're going to record in only a couple days, but I think Otherworld will get me there. Unfortunately, I'm not so sure I'll be allowed to read this at school. Yeah. Especially with the picture of her in a leather corset. You might need to do what I did Maybe when even I read... Maybe vinyl corset. When I read the book It and just like tape some post-it notes to the front cover because you can't stand it up yeah that's that's the only way that i could get away with reading it because i I couldn't look at the clown on the cover all right well i can't look at the clown on the cover of this kate carlisle book anymore and that clown is kate carlisle also all of shannon hammer's tools are pink good night 
All right, my name is Susan Dickinson. My name is Mick Dickinson. The intro music to our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. You can find us on Twitter. I can be found at, at Dickima, D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. You can find Susan at Susan J. That is S with three U's, S-A-N-J. I like our stuff. Retweet our tweets when we go out because I can't use Facebook because I don't want my coworkers to know I do this. My coworkers are slowly starting to find out that I have a podcast because they found me on Twitter. And as they were following me on Twitter, we had to have a lunchtime conversation about like, so I have a podcast about bad books. (laughs) I swear a lot in it. Yeah, apparently I do. Apparently Um, I do. I'm sorry for all the swearing. Uh, but, but, but leave a review on iTunes. Tell uh, a friend. Tell a friend. Favorite it. Uh, wouldn't it be great if by our fiftieth episode we had commercials? That would be hilarious. Wouldn't it be great if by our fiftieth episode we had fifty listeners? What? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, have a good night, Matt. <laughs>